Good morning. Welcome. We're glad you are here this morning. It, uh, it feels like June, but they tell us it's February. I guess it is. And uh, we're thankful we'll take anything. We'll complain about all the bugs later in the summer when they weren't dead in the winter, right? But we're glad you're here. Take a moment and fill out a connection card if you would. It's attached to your bulletin. Put it in the basket. It's passed later on today. If you're new to us, special welcome to you, and I hope you'll come back to be a part of us. If you've been coming or if this is your first time, we have a lunch today at 1215 starting point right after this service. We'd love for you to stick around so we can get to know you a little better and you know us a little better. We'll be done by 1.30. Uh, the kids can play at this tree house after they eat so you can be free from them for a little bit and we'll get you out of here real soon. But that'll be one step toward uh, coming into our family and uh, or coming to Jesus Christ. If you've never known him before, we, we love to walk with people toward the cross and I hope you'll join us in this greatest adventure of your life. This is Valentine's week. You know, don't forget, guys, don't blow it, okay? Don't buy her a toaster or a food processor, okay? It will not fly well. Um, so, you know, we're going to hear a lot of gushy stuff this week on TV and talk radio and things like that. But listen, the Bible says this. John the Apostle writes, this, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. And gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We, lo- we love God. He first loved us. That's what the Bible says. We didn't love him first. He loved us first. He said, this is love. And, and therefore says, dear children, then love each other, not by words and speech, but by action. And uh, so let's be sure that we do that in the context of our lives, in family, in friendships, in the church, whatever we do. Let's make sure that our, our actions and our speech match. We're here to love him together because he's been so good to us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for calling us together. You knew we would do better together than in independence. And we need people. We need you and we need your people. And so that we can be better to those who aren't your people. So thank you for the time we have to spend together. We'll be a few minutes in the Word. We'll be worshiping, singing, giving of our tithes and offerings, remembering you with the emblems today. All this is in a framework of worship, and that's what we give you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have your Bibles. We're in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, a section of the Scripture called the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives. We're going to look at three different passages uh, in, the, in, our, in our message today from God's Word. We're going to start with chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 22. I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Verse 44. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even, though, even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? 
How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, that's Matthew 5, 6, and 7, immediately we go to how we should live every day in our lives. And that's a good thing to do when you study the Bible. But John Stott calls this the Christian counterculture. And what he suggests in his writing, which I think is so true, is when Jesus tells this sermon, it's not only about how we come to Christ and how we conduct ourselves as as Christ's followers, but it's more to do with how we live as a community of faith. How, How do we function together? Our community here and in every church that's healthy is far different than the kind of culture that we're confronted with every day of our lives when we go to work and school and all the other other kinds of things we do um, that that make life life. Jesus was teaching that when we come come to him in faith, that we are connected with one another. When our, our relationship with Jesus that we enter immediately puts us in community with other people. Now, there, there are several things we can learn. I mean, these three passages alone, we could be here the next three months learning out of, out of these texts. I'm just taking some high-level things and weaving these three together. But here's what we learn about community that we really must get our heads around and also practice for the glory of God. First of all, Jesus is speaking of, ne- of the necessity of community. Over and again, in the Sermon on the Mount, he uses the word brother and sister. You choose your friends, you choose who you date, you choose who you marry, but you don't get to choose your family. You're stuck. That's just how it is. I hope you've got one that you appreciate, but you may not. Now, you may be been adopted into the family, or you were are, you are born into that family, whatever it is, whichever way, that is your family. The Bible says that sin makes us orphans. And then when we are adopted, we are put in his family. The day we are baptized into Jesus Christ, we immediately have a family. Now, if you see God simply as your boss uh, or your authority figure in life, you'll never grow much because if he's your boss, it's all about productivity. And if you don't think you're producing well, you're out. God is father, and being father... Even when you're not doing as well as a, as a kid as you should be, as a child of God, he's not done with you. He still desires to have us when we disappoint him, and all of us do in many ways over again. And so having this father love us and know it's enduring and it's unconditional love, and knowing how undeserving we are to have him love us to this degree is a stunning reality. It, 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 the friends that you have, you choose them because of their... It, they're, they're like you. You like the same things. Or maybe they feed your spirit. You find them enjoyable. You think alike. But even those relationships are conditional. Sometimes you can look back over your life and think you were so tight with somebody in your life, and now you don't even know where they live because you grew in different ways. You grew at different levels, and your interests changed, and, and that sort of that change. Family is not like that. I mean, you can live in different parts of the world, 
and be longing for your family. And thankfully today we can Skype or we can FaceTime with people in different parts of the world and we're not so disconnected. We long to have those conversations and we, we look forward to them. Gordon McDonald writes about uh, a number of friends. He goes to an AA meeting because several of his friends are recovering alcoholics. And this is what he writes. He says, one morning Kathy, I guess her age at 35, joined us for the first time. One look at her face caused me to conclude that she must have been Hollywood beautiful at 21. Now her face was swollen, her eyes red, her teeth rotting, her hair looked unwashed, uncombed for who knows how long. I've been in five states in the past month, she said. I've slept under bridges on several nights. I've been arrested, raped, robbed. I don't know what to do. I don't want to be homeless anymore, but I can't stop drinking. I can't, I can't. Next to Kathy was a rather large woman, Marilyn, sober for more than a, so, than a dozen years. She reached with both arms toward Kathy and pulled her close. I was close enough to hear Marilyn speak quietly into Kathy's ear. Honey, you're going to be okay. You're with us now. We can deal with this together. All you have to do is keep coming. Hear me? Keep on coming. And then Marilyn kissed the top of Kathy's head. I was awestruck. The simple words, the affection, the tenderness... How Jesus-like. I couldn't avoid a troubling question that morning. Could this have happened in the places where I have worshipped? Would there have been a place in the program for Kathy to tell her story? Would there have been a Marilyn to respond in this way? How many people who come in here need an embrace? Somebody say to them, it's going to be okay. You're with us now. Just keep coming. Just keep coming. We'll walk with you. Can you love somebody like that? Have you been loved like that? Have you been embraced like that in your life? That's, that's what God, that's what I believe the church needs to be. Have we done it well? No. He still calls us to that more and more all the time. There are people who will say, you know, I'm spiritual, but, my, but I'm not religious. Which they, what they mean is they want the feeling of being spiritual without the commitment that comes with human relationships and like in a church. And that's not possible. It just isn't possible. God put us together, and, 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 and he wants us to be part together. Now, when I look at you, I mean, isn't, are we an unlikely group to be put together? I mean, really, when you think about who the people are in your life, I, I probably wouldn't choose you to be my friends. <laughs> Don't be offended, but you probably wouldn't choose me. But it's the blood of Christ that brings us together. And what happens? We end up liking each other. We enjoy each other. I mean, everybody at the same level? No. By human nature, we just enjoy certain people more than others. But even those people that I enjoy that I've gotten to know more deeply, I'm thinking, how would I have ever gotten to know you? And how would you have ever made me better were it not for the blood of Jesus Christ that brings us together? That's an amazing reality. And I hope you grow to value that, that we need this community. That's how he matures us. Now, now, now he also speak, he's also speaking of the depth of this new community. Notice verse 23 says, If you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Now, this speaks to us, first of all, on the personal level, because we're each responsible for the depth in the Christian community, all right? Uh, there's a personal responsibility. 
So here, here you are, you've come to church, let's say, and the offering's going by. And God says, Jesus says to us, if you know you have something, somebody has something against you, forget your offering. In other words, it doesn't mean that much to me. If somebody has something against you, notice you don't have the problem with somebody else. Somebody has the problem to you. And you may, you may know that and think, well, that's stupid. Or ah, how immature is that? Or why doesn't she just get over it? That's really beside the point. The point is somebody has something against you. And Jesus says, you are responsible to go do your best to take care of that, resolve that issue, so you can advance that relationship. He puts a huge amount of responsibility on us to be responsible mutually in these relationships he's put us in. Hebrews 2.13 says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now see what happens in relationships when we're hurt or when we hurt somebody and we don't resolve that. What happens is whether we know or not, there's a, there's a, there's an, a, a hardening that starts to happen. We get guarded against other people or we refrain from getting around certain people or mutual friends you have. You can't be around them because you don't know whose side they're on. It gets really complicated. It gets all it all becomes a mess. Back in the 78 blizzard, I remember going and checking my car. They'd been parked in water. Those temperatures dropped so quickly before that blizzard hit, and there was like three inches of ice because I parked in puddles, and that ice was solid quickly overnight when the blizzard hit. I wasn't going anywhere. I was stuck until the thaw came. The same thing happens in our hearts. When we have, when we have something in us or something has something toward us, there's an iciness that starts forming. And until that iciness is chipped away or thawed by the Holy Spirit of God who teaches us about healthy relationships, you cannot move forward in your relationship with God. You may think you do. You may think you're over it. That doesn't mean it all goes away. You can only do what you can do to resolve the issue. You may go as far as you can, and it's not going anywhere, but at least you've done your part and you can be unstuck. But we have to do something about those icy things. I have certainly, you know, done my part in hurting people that I didn't mean to hurt. You know, I, and, and I've been hurt by people in the church. I mean, that, that's part of relationships, isn't it? Because in family, have, have you, have, in your family, have, have you, has anybody in your family, extended family, ever hurt your feelings? Has anybody in your family ever gossiped about you to another family member? I mean, of course because we're all a mess, and we do stupid things to create havoc in our own families. But we are family, and your family is always going to be an uncomfortable place. Your biological family is going to be an uncomfortable place until you deal with issues at hand. And once you do, what happens? Well, then you can look forward to being together again. Now, there are those exceptions where boundaries have to be set up and all that. That's another sermon for another place in time. I'm not going there today, okay? But I think you know what I'm trying to say here. There's a, there's a, a tribe in northern Africa, a northern uh, South, South Africa, called the Natal tribe. And when they greet each other, they say, Sawubona, which means, I see you. And the response is, Sikona, which means, I am here. Now, for us, it's pretty lame. 
Hi, how you doing? Fine. It doesn't mean a cotton-picking thing, does it? Your mother could have died an hour ago. I'm fine. You know? I mean, that's just how it works in our culture. But how, how meaningful is it to say, I see you? Now, see, the problem in relationships is if we don't know each other, people can walk up by you and don't notice a thing. But if you're in relationship with people in a deeper sense, is there, is there, if there's a depth in community, you can look at somebody's countenance and you think something's not right there. Or, or you can, you, I mean, not, don't you like that as parents? You look at your kids and think, hmm, something's up. You can tell by body language. You can tell by the way somebody's walking. Mm, they're guilty. That's what you think, you know, right? There's all kinds of things that come up when we, when we see people like this. And so, but if we don't know each other, you can't tell that. That's why God puts us together. Now, we can't know everybody in the church like that, but we can know some people. Everybody needs to be known to some degree, to some extent, to be able to tell those kinds of things. We all need people that we can unload with and know we're going to be absolutely loved no matter what we say, no matter what we confess, no matter what we're dealing with. So that's the personal element. Then there's a corporate element. So here you are at church, and you know, Jesus, if you're at church and you're giving this offering, and uh, there's an issue, you better go find that guy. Well, where is he? He's not in church. You see, when relationships start being broken, what happens? We cut ourselves, we remove ourselves from people. We distance ourselves because it's too uncomfortable. We do that. We do that. We don't want to be seen. We don't want to see them. Ladies, you know what it's like to get up on Saturday morning, you got to go to wherever you go to shop, so you put a hat on, sunglasses on, so nobody recognizes you because you look like a dog, right? And so you try to hide yourself. No, really, you know, you know what that feeling is, so you hide yourself, right? And of course, you go there, and all these people from church are there, and you come home, oh, I can't believe you know who saw me, oh, gee, man. Because to be really known and seen is uncomfortable, isn't it? We come here together after having looked in the mirror, we make sure we're presentable, we look pretty good, hair's looking good, all that, to be seen. You know, God sees us with all our dirt and all our junk and all our ugliness, and He still accepts our worship today. He still embraces us. He's still glad we're together. And we need to have a community where that's true as well, where you can say to somebody, I, 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 I lived so unchristianly this week. Can you believe I did this? And there's somebody there to pray with you, to say you're still in the family. I love you. I care about you. Let's get through this. You know, that's what we need. That's 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 what that's what it is. Now, um, of course, why this is true too is that to be together in family. Why are we here? We're here to worship God, but we're here getting to know God better, right? And in relationships, that's what happens. Like in your family, you're known in different ways by different people. In my family, my kids know me in a way that my wife doesn't know me. And Diana knows me in a way that the kids don't know me. The grandkids see me in a different way. My close friends see me in a different way yet. And so in my family, I have so many idiosyncrasies, my family just mocks me and makes fun of me. And it's well-deserved that, you know, Diana will say something and kids will say, really, Dad, you did that? You said that? Or the, or the kids will say something about what I did when they were growing up that scarred them for life, you know, what that is. And Diana said, did you really say that to them? But yeah. My point is, personhood is multifaceted. And, and we're known by, in different ways by different people. That's how it is in growing in the Lord, 
Because of the way we got to Christ, where we are in Christ, what we're wrestling with, we come, we open the scriptures together, we get to know him. And it's not that we get to shape him in the way we want to. That, that's idolatry. We don't do that. But because God in his nature is without limits and boundaries, there are always nuances to learn about him. And we learn about him from hearing other people's stories and the, what they wrestle with and what they're struggling with. You see? And so we emerge knowing God better because we've been together. You can never know God as well alone as you can in community. That's just how it is. Third, the course of the new community. What, 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 how does all this happen? Well, Jesus says in chapter 12, don't judge. How often is that quoted and misquoted? So he says, this is the intriguing thing about chapter 7. He says, don't judge. And then by verse 6, he calls some people pigs and dogs. Well, what's with that? Well, he's talking about the way we interact with people. He's talking about the way that we make him known. And we learn throughout the scriptures that we speak the truth in love. To speak the truth without love is not loving. To speak love without truth is not real love either. They have to be, they're inextricably bound together. Now, some people read this text and say, well, pigs and dogs, those are people that just don't appreciate what you're telling them, you know, so you shouldn't even share the gospel with them. Well, did you appreciate the gospel when somebody talked to you about Jesus? Did, did you, how well do you appreciate the cross of Christ today? Some days I think I get it, and then there's some moments when I am blown away and I can't begin to get my head around the cross of Christ and that he died for my sins as dirty as I am, that he died for me. I, I can't get that. It's too big. Amazing grace. I don't, I don't understand this grace. I don't understand this love. It's, it, it, and it captivates me. Why would he love me? We go in and out. I, don't, I know I don't fully appreciate the gospel. What he's saying here is it's not that they're pigs and dogs because they don't appreciate the gospel. They, they become pigs and dogs because they can't digest it. That we present the good news of Jesus in a way that they, they can't take it in. It's too much. And so we think we can make a difference in the world by wagging our fingers at people or wagging our fingers at each other. No, you should know better. You should know better. You know, and the church sometimes is the very worst at condemning their own family members. And that ought not be, brothers and sisters. It ought to be when we disappoint one another, that's, that's when we hold on most tightly. Because back in that story of Kathy and Marilyn, it was, all about, it was all about healing. And how does that happen? It was happening by Marilyn holding on to Kathy. And sometimes the only way you can hold on to the Lord is making sure somebody's holding on to you. Or you're holding on to somebody else. That's what the church is like. You hold on to each other until we get to see him face to face, right? We've got to hold on to each other. And if you're not holding on to anybody, you're in danger. If nobody's holding on to you, why don't they want to hold on to you? There's a reason for that, and we need to learn. Remember the, the beach scene after the resurrection? Jesus was talking to Peter on the beach. He was telling Peter about his future, and I, Peter must have been uncomfortable because he looks to John over the distance. He said, hey, well, what about John over there? What about him? And Jesus basically said, I'm not talking to you about him. I'll deal with John my own way. I'm talking about you. I'm, I'm just talking about your life. And so, that, so it is with us. Well, I'm so thankful we're not... There's not a cookie-cutter way to get to Jesus. And we're all different. And Jesus deals with each of us very differently, uniquely, based on who we are as persons, our life experiences, all of that. But that's what makes the body of Christ so colorful. That's what makes our relationship with God so good and rich. And then finally, we have the grace of the new community. The grace of the new community. 
It's, it's grace that marks us. Jesus warns, don't judge or you will be judged. Now, that is often misquoted, and so we translate that, evaluate it, that, that Jesus is saying, don't evaluate other people's lives. Well, that's ridiculous. Do you evaluate your kids? Well, of course you do. We all do that. Do we evaluate, you know, our, our marriages? Certainly we do. If we don't, you know, we're never going to get better in our marriages. Do, do we evaluate government decisions? Do we evaluate schools? Do we, sure we do. That's a kind of judgment. That's a right judgment. That's a healthy judgment, all right? What Jesus is saying here, don't condemn. It's the same word he uses in Romans 8, 1, where he says, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself, the Bible says clearly, did not come to condemn anybody. He came to rescue us. And nobody should ever be a part of this community of faith feeling condemned. But should be here to be embraced and loved. Have we done that well? Nope. Have we been condemning in our spirits sometime? I'm sure we have. Even without meaning to. And maybe sometimes we've done it intentionally. And shame on us for doing it. We're not here to condemn people. Jesus came. Why? To be condemned. He came to be condemned, to take all the judgment on himself so that we wouldn't have to exist being continually condemned by him. And being freed, when we get that, the last thing we want to do is condemn anybody else. Will we evaluate? Sure. Why? How? Because we have this standard of truth. We have a standard by which, by which to evaluate, and that needs to happen. That's why we challenge each other to grow better and walk closer to the Lord. So we want to live out this text three ways. First of all, welcome, welcome. Welcome into your life people to know you. You say, well, I'm too shy, or I'm too busy, or I'm too much of an introvert, or I've, I've been hurt too much by people. Well, all the more reason you need to have people in your life. You'll, you can never grow in personhood. You can never grow in your faith as well in, solit in solitude. You can't. Because God created us. He put us in a body. He put us together. He put us connected with each other. Is there anybody in your life today that you can say absolutely anything to you, no matter how dark it is or wrong it is, and they're going to pray with you and love you and encourage you and help you get through it? Every one of us needs that. Are you the kind of person that can take that? Are you willing to hear what anybody has to say? And it's okay. Now, however dark that may be, it's probably not for a whole lot of people. But somebody you know that you can trust absolutely. Second, attach. Attach yourself to a life group. Attach yourself to a life group. Now, I know, you, I know how you hear this. You hear this as a church program. And maybe it is, but, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a rationale behind it. It's just a vehicle by which we can be better and go deeper in ways that we'll never go if we're not connected to one another. So please consider that. And get connected with people. If you want to start a life group, we'll give you all the tools to just gather a few people around you and do it. You know, we have great resources for that. And, uh, and, and I, hope, I hope you'll take, take that as a risk to do, but it's a healthy risk. It's a good risk. And somebody will walk with you so you're not just alone. Third, learn. Learn. Learn to love the church as Jesus Christ loves the church. He uses his own love for the church as an example, men, of how we're to love our wives. We're to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life for her. I hope that's how you feel about your wife, that you would do anything for her to rescue her.
to make her better, to purify her, whatever it takes to be the best husband you can be. You see, he says that the model is Jesus and the degree to which he has loved his body, the church, his bride, the church. And you may have a lot of reasons why you want to stay at a distance. Maybe you've been hurt by church. Maybe you don't like everything about the organizational structure. You don't like all the leadership decisions. You don't know how, like how the money is spent. Uh, you don't like whatever. You, you will. I've never talked to any preacher that was satisfied with the condition and health of his church. I don't even care how fast they're growing. You talk to, you talk to mega church preachers, and he's weighed down by something that isn't right about the church. Why? Because we're all fallen people. We're all damaged goods. And we're all trying to do it better all the time. But doesn't that free you? Doesn't that free you as a person? It does me. To know that you're imperfect helps me because of my imperfections. Because you struggle with temptation, it helps me in my struggle with temptation that we're in this together. Because you have struggled with God and questions with, about God, I've got questions. I got questions for him too. The things I wrestle with God about too that I don't understand. But we're in this together. And that's, to me, what makes the church church. It's not our perfection that makes the church church. It's all our, it's all our failures. It's our weaknesses. It's the ways we've blown it. And yet we're together, family, a community of faith that makes this so rich. We're God's family. We are citizens of the same kingdom. We're members of his household. We are God's church. And the sooner you get that and respond to that, I tell you, the better you will be as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're an outsider looking in, if you're investigating, I want you to know there's no other life like this one. He offers the best life, the life of lives, because he's the giver of life. He's the one that remakes life when we come to him. If you've not been baptized into Jesus Christ, we urge you to do that, to be reconciled with your creator, and to be on your way to being a brand new person from the inside out. Let's honor him well with our lives, love him well, and let's have a community that God's proud of.